Welcome to Sanity, a podcast to help you keep yours in today's divisive political climate. I'm your host, Audrey Scagnelli, and I hope you'll join me in this quest for optimism in a post-2016 world. I'm here with Anafi Wahed, who is the founder of theflipside.io, a newsletter that I've been a huge fan of really since January and have been telling friends of mine, I'm a huge believer in word of mouth, um, and I'm going to ask in, in your words, can you tell us a little bit about the flip side and how you are bursting media bubbles left and right? Of course. Thank you so much, Audrey, for having me. So the flip side really started because I was living in my own liberal bubble. So I moved to the States when I was eight years old. I grew up in New York City. I went to Bryn Mawr College. I moved back to New York after college. And it wasn't until I left my corporate job to go knock on doors for Hillary um, in New Hampshire that I realized how much of a liberal bubble I was living in. At the same time, I also realized that the average person is comfortable in that bubble, right? I read CNN because it's more comfortable. Um, when I turn on, say, Fox News, it's a little bit more difficult because they're saying things I don't agree with. And so after the election, when everyone had that realization of, oh my god, these filter bubbles, these echo chambers, what are they doing to our democracy? I think that's a good question to ask. But then the second question is, how can we pull people in? How can we pull them out of their comfort zone in a digestible, consumable way? So that's where I feel like the flip side fills a niche that isn't being really addressed, where the average person who isn't already reading everything about politics, if they just want a five-minute blurb about what both sides are saying, there's not really a good place for that. Our first newsletter went out to 16 of my friends, whom I begged to be in my user group. And now we have tens of thousands of subscribers. Uh, we've been growing steadily via word of mouth and earned media alone. And I'm happy to say that both my team and our readers span the political spectrum. And even when people disagree with our take, they say, OK, but you're trying to represent both sides fairly. Our tagline is burst your media bubble one five minute read at a time. And we work very hard to keep it short and sweet for you. So we're trying to do the impossible, which is deliver nuance in a five-minute read. If I haven't heard of the flip side before, what, what's a typical newsletter look like? So we choose one or two topics a day, and we go out and read 20 op-eds so you don't have to. So we will read op-eds from the New York Times, Washington Post, The Hill, CNN, Fox News, American Conservative, National Review, Daily Wire, what have you. And then my liberal and conservative teammates will go and say, you know what, these are the five or six op-eds we like from this side and that side. And then comes the really hard part, which is, OK, we like these op-eds. We think they have something valuable to say. And then we choose you know, a few sentences from each of them to intelligently curate our digest. So the purpose of our digest is to give you a splicing of the different arguments that are being made in all of these op-eds. So you feel like you're getting a quick blurb. And then if you want to read more, we link you to the original op-eds. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing on the back end is very encouraging. Our liberal-leaning readers are clicking on conservative articles, and our conservative-leaning readers are clicking on liberal articles. So we're creating a cross-pollination of readership, bringing conservatives to MSNBC, 
Haiti to the Atlantic and bringing liberals to National Review, um, to Hot Air, to The Blaze, what have you. Oh, that's so encouraging. That's it really, really is. That's really cool. <laughs> One thing that really put you on the map um, in in March of this past year, you wrote an op-ed that was penned in the Wall Street Journal because you attended CPAC, which is probably the most conservative gathering in, in the country. You walked in as a Hillary staffer. Um, former and, Hillary staffer. I was part of the Hillary 2016 staffer. campaign. Yes. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's, it's such a, it's a charming story. It's a great read. Um, but I'd, I'd love for you to just kind of recap what that experience was like for you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I will not lie, I was taking a bus from New York to Maryland, but I was scared. I was legitimately afraid that when people found out I worked for Hillary, what the reaction would be. Um, and this is after having done the flip side for a year, um, having a, you know, teammates who are very conservative, uh, libertarian, etc. I was still sort of afraid to go into CPAC and say I worked for Hillary, um, especially when, you know, people are screaming, lock her up, lock her up. But honestly, every single person I spoke with was just so kind and genuine. And their first reaction was, oh, thank you for being here. Thank you for, you know, coming and listening to what we're all about. And that was fascinating to me, um, how they were able to separate their uh, very strong dislike of Hillary from me as a person. What I wrote in the op-ed at the end was, Sadly, I don't think that a Trump supporter would receive that kind of welcome mm -hmm. if they went to a liberal gathering. So that's what I'm, I'm working on my side to fix. I remember reading a, a line that you wrote in the op-ed that was essentially, you know, I can't help but wonder if someone wearing a Make America Great Again hat walked into a, a liberal rally, what would the reaction be? And that actually forced me to do a little bit of a gut check because as someone who has worked in Republican politics for the bulk of my career and then mm -hmm. kind of stepped back in the fall, um, I, I said to myself, you know what, I don't know how I would have reacted to that either. Mm. And so mm. we started to see some cross-pollinization there oh, too, um, where our, our, we have these silos, but now we're having, maybe we're having new silos as well. New silos, yes, which is good and bad, right? Um, and it's really interesting, we ask when you uh, subscribe to the flip side, if you're liberal leaning or conservative leaning, and we get emails all the time, I'm not a liberal, I'm progressive. Mm. I'm not conservative leaning, I'm pro-Trump. I am not this, I am not that. So there are lots of labels being placed on individuals that they're voluntarily placing themselves and trying to, you know, shift themselves out of the left-right paradigm. And as much as the flip side adheres to that paradigm, we try to do a good job of delivering nuance within each side as well as both sides. So within the left, we will say, some on the left say this and some on the right say that. Uh, excuse me, some on the left say that. And same on the right, we'll say, oh, the right is divided on this issue. Some support the trade war, others don't, uh, because there's all kinds of gray. And even in my team, right, we have a, a liberal and conservative contributors who disagree on some things but agree on other things. Um, so that's a really interesting place to be, and I do think there's a lot of room for us to have more nuanced political conversations now that so many people are engaged, which is a good thing, which is, you know, as someone who does not think the Trump presidency is a good thing overall, seeing that I'm still a liberal and a Democrat, um, that's one of the amazing things about the Trump presidency, how many people it's inspired to start acting, to start getting involved. Our political litmus tests are 
often close-minded, but at the same time with this rise of tribalism and finding your tribe, we now have more tribes than I can keep track of. <laughs> yes, <And> sadly <laughs> so, that is true. So there's a flip side to that argument too. Right, oh yeah. I'd love to know when, when you were younger, I mean, how, have you been active in politics from a, a very early age? It's really funny, not at all. Um, so I was an economics and psychology double major in college. So throughout college, I actually thought I was going to get a PhD in psychology. Um, then my senior year realized I hate research, so that's not a good idea. Then I spent four years in finance. I'm a CFA. I spent two years at the FDIC as a bank regulator, That uh, then at EY as a consultant. And out of nowhere, I quit my job, uh, gave up the lease on my apartment in Queens, and went to New Hampshire to knock on doors for Hillary in the summer of 2016. That was my first time ever engaging with a campaign. I had not, I had never volunteered. I had never done anything. I had never donated money. Um, I read the news, but I wasn't super involved. Um, and there were a lot of things that transpired uh, to lead me to that moment. Part of it was I realized I didn't want to be in finance. Part of it was really honestly wondering how half the country could think so differently from me. Um, so it was a mix of intellectual curiosity, boredom with my current uh, job, and really I thought Hillary would win and I wanted to be part of history. <laughs> so I guess I'm part of a different history. and. What is nice, though, even before November 8th, when we lost the election, I had realized the dire need for something like the flip side. I realized that when I was knocking on doors of conservatives and moderates and independents, that there were all of these uh, perspectives that I just wasn't aware of. So I would have done the flip side either way, but I think the need is even more now than I, than I could have imagined. What did your friends and family think? So my boss thought I was kidding for the first hour. Um, he thought I was gunning for a promotion, I wanted a different project, et cetera, and I, I really had to sit him down and say, no, I'm really going to New Hampshire. My mom was concerned, to say the least, being um, a, a single mom to an only child. We're immigrants, we immigrated to this country when I was eight, and she said, what, what do you mean? You have a great job, you're working you know, in uh, finance, like everybody uh, hopes to be doing, I guess. And I sold it to her as a four-month break, and then I would go back into finance, knowing I probably wasn't. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. Um, two days ago, my uncle called um, just to say hello, and he asks, how is flip-flop going? So there's, there's some work to be done to convince them that this is a worthy cause. <laughs> well, it, it is a worthy cause, and as you've been building it, you've built a team, yes. um, and how does that work? Because you're, you are growing, and you know how have you, how have you found your team, and are they all in New York, or are they all over the country? We work completely remotely. Um, my team spans the geographical uh, you know, topography from Chicago to California to Maryland. Um, so I am the liberal editor, and Jahan, my business partner, is the conservative editor. And then we have a team of contributors uh, who devote one or two nights a week to putting together the flip side, to put together the first draft of op-eds and quotes that they like. And then Jahan and I go in and do another uh, review, another sweep, to see if we missed any good op-eds, et cetera. Um, it's very much an art and not a science. Everything from topic choice to whether we choose the Atlantic or Vox article, which quote we choose, it is a debate, and it, and it should be, and it's healthy. So, for example, you know, my liberal 
um, teammates always want to cover climate change and my conservative teammates always want to cover the economy, right? So even our topic choice can be biased. Um, are we covering the Mueller investigation too much? Liberals always say never enough. Or are we paying enough attention to the unemployment numbers? Or are we paying enough attention um, to the fact that North Korea just ended its war with South Korea, right? Starting from the topic choice all the way down to the quotes. So every single article we cite is read in full by at least one liberal and one conservative team member. And then the quotes themselves. And it's really hard because I think this one sentence makes perfect sense. And then Jahan will come in and say, wait, that's going to sound crazy to the right. You need to explain that more, right? Because that's the whole thing, I that we need to speak in the language of the other. When we talk about immigration, on the left, we say undocumented immigrants. On the right, we say illegal immigrants because we want to reflect the language of the other. But at the same time, we want to find the quotes that are going to best explain what each side thinks in a manner that is palatable to the other side. It's it's a gray area. Often there's debate and healthy debate. Um, sometimes it gets into arguments, but we always come together at the end to compromise to say, okay, you don't like that article, fine. Let me find another one that makes the same argument but does so in a less sensational way. That's the compromise, and it's hard. It's really hard. I spoke at um, a Vox Media panel in front of 100 journalists about the team and what we do. Afterwards, so many journalists who work in media outlets came up to me and said, oh my God, you talk to Trump supporters. I said, yes, one of them is my business partner. Um, the fact that they were astonished and wanted to know wow. how I do it tells you everything you need to know about the media industry. Frightening, That's, that, is, that is a disheartening. Of the campaign donations that uh, came from journalists in the 2016 election, 96% of the money donated went to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Again, all you need to know about the media bias and the media industry. That's something. <laughs> To make your endeavors and efforts all the more impressive, you do this on the side. Yes. <laughs> I, I still have a job, a day job, and I call the flip side the night job. Um, my day job is a, at a wonderful nonprofit. They provide financial counseling to low to moderate income households. So I'm a senior analyst there. I work 32 hours a week, and then I do the flip side, and I stay up till 3, 4 a.m. every day because that's how the new cycle works. Um, so it's 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 been quite a journey. <laughs> about how long would you say assembling one newsletter takes you and your team? Um, that's an interesting question. So on the one hand, um, we have to read all of the op-eds. We have the first round of people who go in and sort of do the sweep. And then Jahan and I come in and do another sweep. And then it's the debate. And the the hardest part is really keeping it to a five-minute read. Often, you know, we have 10 op-eds. And then we have to shrink it down to five or six because we're so careful to give only the you know best of the best to our readers because we know that you know confirmation biases exist, echo chambers exist for a reason. That people like their uh, echo chambers. So um, the hardest part is really that conversation that happens after everything has been culled to say, okay, what do we actually like? What do we actually think will speak to the other side? Which article actually explains the argument? in the most rational way. So, uh, geez, I would say total five or six hours. 
it's it it is a truly for the most part a five minute read. And yes, and it's it's become a part of my routine. Awesome, because it, I think it does it does help people understand each other better, and we're seeing more and more the the need for that. Exactly, exactly. What what inspires you most in what you do and the people that you meet as a result of what you're doing? We're lucky to get a lot of reader feedback. Um, our subscribers are very engaged. Our open rate is about 40%. Um, yes. 40%. 40%. That is, that is <laughs> almost unheard of. That's phenomenal. Yes. So, wow. so we, we get a lot of feedback. We get a lot of people who will point out anytime, you know, my liberal bias or Jahan's conservative mm-hmm. bias is showing. Um, we also get angry emails that have nothing to do with us. They're just sort of yelling because they have yep. no one else to yell at. Um, but we get so many emails. Um, two days ago, I got an email from someone saying, Hey, just so you know, I forwarded your email to my son and daughter, and now they're reading the flip side instead of watching cable news. Or we just sent a reader survey out um, this week. We got over 300 responses. Um, somebody said, the flip side helps me connect with my uh, granddaughter. Um, somebody else said, oh, the flip side makes me crazy, but I understand it's my civic duty, and actually I find myself understanding conservative arguments more. Someone says the flip side helped me realize that not all liberals are snowflakes. So mm-hmm. it's, it's those small battles that we win that make that keep us going we're not in the business of converting we don't think liberals are suddenly going to become conservatives or vice versa what we're trying to explain is that there are rational arguments on both sides and even if you don't agree with it you should know what they are so that you can make your own counterpoints um, that much stronger and learn to work with the other side learn the vocabulary the language what they're emphasizing covering a topic that the other side is not aware of so to it's a really interesting place to be right now. <laughs> it, it is. It's a very interesting place to be. I was just having a conversation with a young woman who's a, a sophomore, and she was telling me about just the, the lack of discourse that's happening in the classroom, that her her peers, her age group, she's kind of on the cusp of, of a millennial, mm-hmm. she's not quite a millennial, that it's so unwelcome that having a really uh, in-depth conversation is almost not happening because the moment that she or her peers or in her classroom says something that expresses an opinion, it's immediately the reaction is that that person is telling you you're wrong and they're trying to change right. your mind right. instead of just sharing the fact for what it is or sharing an opinion for the sake of right. sharing an opinion. And I think what you guys do a great job of is expressing a, a range of opinions without telling you what you should believe. Oh, God, that's such a problem on college campuses. And I think it's partly a multitude of factors, but also partly we don't know how to talk about politics, right? Politics is not considered polite conversation. So how are you supposed to be able to have a rational discussion if politics is always not for the dinner table, not for polite company? Um, So part of it is just learning how to engage with each other in that space and acknowledging that it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, Jahan and I get into lots of fights. And then three minutes later, we're like, okay, breathe, come back. And I think it's really about being careful with engaging with people. So 
social media, never a good idea, unless you're personally messaging someone to say, hey, I saw you posted this, I disagree with that, here's another article that I think would be helpful, um, or here's an article that expresses how I feel. So giving people material to read, that's not just you screaming at them, right? Um, it also removes you from the situation. So it's not me, Anafi, giving my opinion, it's Ezra Klein giving his opinion, and I only agree with it. Um, Again, echo chambers exist for a reason. So sometimes, you know, breaking news alert will pop up and Jahan will uh, send me a message on Slack. Oh, my God. And he will start talking about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need time to process this. I will talk to you once I have processed my feelings about this. Um, so knowing when it's a good time to disengage and say, you know what, let's have this conversation later. Um, maybe I need to read up on what you're saying more. Or actually, hmm, I didn't know that fact. Can you point me to it? And trying to keep it at the factual level and less on the this happened to me or that happened to me. Um, because I think so much of media is you know, statistical anomalies, really. They take that one anecdote that happened to one person and that's suddenly representative. And that's the headline. And that's, that's the headline. Mm -hmm. I am kind of curious before we, before we close, what is your hope for the flip side's future? Well, we are on, a, I think, an achievable mission, but a very difficult mission, which is to become a shared news source for liberals, conservatives, independents, moderates, we know it's hard to convince liberals to watch Fox and conservatives to watch MSNBC. But if the liberal that's watching MSNBC on Rachel Maddow, and if the conservative that's watching Fox News that's watching Sean Hannity, if they're both reading the flip side for five minutes a day, that's the starting point for conversation. If you don't have a shared news source, if you don't have a shared reality, how can you talk with one another? I think a world in which disagreeing doesn't have to lead to unfriending each other on Facebook. Disagreeing doesn't have to mean that the other person is evil. Disagreeing doesn't have to mean that I'm going to disavow everything you stand for, right? Um, liberals and conservatives can come to common ground on certain things and compromise on the things they can. What's refreshing about your perspective and, and Clearly, in this conversation, I mean, this this shouldn't this honestly shouldn't be impressive. Right. However, <laughs> for you to acknowledge that ninety six percent of journalists, journalists who donated in sixteen donated to Hillary Hillary's campaign, it's that's a fact. You're just sharing a fact, but Correct. you're sharing a fact that is damning to the left. I at least yes. in my in my right. biased opinion, but you're sharing that as someone who has very strong values and is as liberal, but is have such eyes open, it's really refreshing and unusual. Well, thank you, thank you. And yes, you're right, it shouldn't be impressive. This should be the norm, but unfortunately it isn't. And I think it's always because I've ha have had a contrarian streak. I was always the person in class that would raise my hand and say the con you know contrarian opinion. But I also think it's because I was raised in an immigrant family where we had bigger concerns than which exact word I used for X, Y, Z thing. If someone asks me a question that's has that's well-intended, you know, I, I'm South Asian. If someone asks me a question about my culture, even if they haven't phrased it properly, I don't care. I'm happy you're inquisitive. I'm happy you want to know about my culture. There, there are a lot of things that I think 
has been overblown by the media on college campuses in general. And, you know, we're, on the one hand, there are real issues to be talked about that we do need to talk about. On the other hand, I don't care what Colin Kaepernick is doing. I don't care what Kanye West is tweeting. Why are these the headlines? Yes. I, I never know what they're tweeting, so I, <laughs> I guess maybe my head's in a different kind of sand. Uh, well, you you have a wonderful attitude and approach to life. And, oh, thank and you. My last question for you is, what what are you most optimistic about right now, today? What makes me optimistic is getting off of Facebook and Twitter, because on Facebook and on Twitter, everyone is really angry. But when I talk to people in real life, when someone sends us an angry email and I write back something nice and positive, I always get a nice and positive email back. And so I think a lot of this angry rhetoric is really performative art. Politics has become a performative art. and. Anger is just one-upping each other because that's the cool thing to do. So if we just get rid of that mentality, I think there are a lot of rational people out there. I meet them every day all across the political spectrum. Um, and it's just a matter of literally getting them off of Twitter. I really hate social media. <laughs> it's, it's a constant, well, I should be on Twitter more. But I go on Twitter and I don't, the energy suck of it. Is, oh yeah, you know, there's a brain drain to it when it's addictive. You know, it's partisan, but it's true. You go out in the world, you have conversations with real people, and it's it's pretty unusual to not be inspired. Exactly, it's an amazing melting pot that we that we live in. Exactly. I mean, I'm a first generation immigrant that had a successful four year stint in finance. I was 25, making six figures, and now I decided to take the plunge and start a startup, um, and I'm making you know decent progress and that's inspiring right but and my story is so normal or you know not as normal as it should be but it, it can but be. it's doable it's, it's doable I mean, it takes hard work my favorite quote in life ben franklin diligence is the mother of good luck exactly and i do believe in this country that's still, exactly. that's still very much i mean promise. my mom brought me here when i was eight years old she didn't bring you know she actively chose to come here yes um because america is still the land of opportunity and and i believe that and immigrants continue to believe that and it saddens me when uh, americans are you know ha have such a pessimistic view of the world and and this is not to downplay the major issues we do have because we do congress is broken we know this but the people aren't so we just need to get the people to fix congress simple. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. And if you're listening, theflipside.io. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you for having me.